Welcome to Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. We behold your glory, God, in the face of Christ. It shows us who you are, revealing who you are. Faith is personal, and it grows through knowing God and remembering His faithfulness. Today we'll see Joshua stir up the faith of the people by reminding them of all the good things God has done for them. And now here is part three of Cheryl's message titled, The Treasury of Faith. And as long as Chuck was there, we all felt safe. And there were people that trusted more in Chuck than in Jesus Christ. But it is so important that our faith is not in a man or a person, but in Jesus Christ and what he's done. Joshua then reminds them of their personal experience of God. In verse 3, he tells them what they have seen personally. You have seen all that the Lord, your God, has done to all these nations because of you. You. God loves you. I can't tell you the people that would come up to my father, and sometimes me, and say, I know you have a direct line to God, so will you pray for me? It's like, "Mm." my line is as direct as your line. We all have a direct line line to Jesus. He's our emergency number on our cell phones. They have seen for themselves. God defeated the nations for them personally. Joshua is saying, you're the reason. It wasn't for me. It's for you that you personally might have the promises. You see, the treasury of faith is first personal. And then Joshua tells them four times that God fought for them. In verse 14, Joshua says, Behold, this day I am going the way of all the earth. Again, you can't lean on me. And you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing has failed of all the good things which the Lord, your God, spoke concerning you. All have come to pass for you, and not one word of them has failed. Part of the treasury of faith is saying, this is personal for you. It wasn't just for me. It's for you. Joshua pointed out to the leaders, God did all this for you because he loves you, because he is for you, because he wants you to have all his promises more than you want his promises. Their eyes had witnessed the work of God. They knew in their hearts the veracity of God's promise. When we pass on faith, we are passing on the presence and power and personal relationship of God. And we are not alone. The Holy Spirit is working with us, convicting, reminding, testifying to the hearts of our children, this next generation, the reality of God's love and work on their behalf. 
This generation needs to be reminded of what they have seen of the work of God, what they have heard of the work of God, and what they have felt in their hearts and life. You've heard this story before because my parents stole it from me and told me I couldn't use it again. When Char was a little boy, Char, again, the hyperactive child, this story is all about Char and Joshua. When Char was little, he used to have these deep questions every night before he went to bed. And I am very efficient. I like short answers and I love sleep. And I love to be in bed by nine. But I would do the Bible study. I would pray over each child like you're blessed, you're sanctified, go to sleep. But he'd always have a question like, Mom, I don't know if I'm saved. And I'd go back in there and say, say this prayer after me. Dear Jesus, dear Jesus, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. I need you to save me. I need you to save me. Be my savior. Be my savior. Amen. Amen. Okay, you're safe. Go to sleep. I would do things like that. I was just, you know, and then Brian would come home. Charlie would still be awake. Dad, I don't know if I'm saved. And oh my goodness, Brian would go in there, sit with him, go through the scriptures, assure the kid of his salvation, pray over him, hug him, even lie down next to him. I'm like, I already took care of that. So I was convicted, okay? I was convicted of my efficiency and my, you know, mothering, but I had other things to do and three other children to attend to. And I was so convicted. And so this one night, I'd done the Bible study. I'm leaving, and Char says, Mom, I don't know if I've ever heard God speak to me. I'm thinking, oh, great. It's kind of like, what would Brian do situation? So I prayed, and I said, God, give me an answer, and give me grace for this child. I sat on his bed, and I'm praying. And I said, Char, remember how you broke the dining room window this week. It was only one of 10 windows he broke in his life. And he said, yeah. And I said, well, remember when you took the ladder and put it up in the garage and you climbed up into the eave and you grabbed dad's golf clubs, which dad had put in the eave so you wouldn't grab them? Yeah. So while you were doing that, moving the ladder and putting it up there, did you ever kind of sense inside yourself this voice saying, no, you shouldn't do this? And he's like, yes. I said, okay, when you brought the golf clubs down and you took that one golf club out, was there that same voice saying, I don't think this is wise. I shouldn't be doing this. Yes. Okay, when you took that golf club out to the backyard and you started hitting pieces of bark against the house, did you feel that voice again saying, this is not a good idea. You shouldn't be doing this. He said, yes. And I said, and then we know that the window got broken in the dining room and we can't afford to fix it, so we've just got the duct tape all over it. I said, Char, that's the voice of the Lord speaking to you. And I said, the more you heed that voice, that nagging but kind voice, I said, that's the Lord. And the more you heed it, the more you're going to hear it and the louder it's going to get. And he's like, wow. So I'm just leaving the threshold of his room. I'm about to pass the hallway into my own room and I hear, Mom. I said, yes. He goes, I've heard the Lord a lot. <laughs> we need to remind this generation, you heard the Lord. 
This is what the Lord did for you when you were two, when you were four, because we know their stories and we know God's grace on their lives. We know their story. We need to remind them of their story. Joshua pointed this out to these leaders. Next, Joshua reminds the leaders of all they have because of the Lord. Verse four, see, I have divided to you by lot these nations that remain to be an inheritance for you. Again, by God's grace, they have the land, they have their inheritance, they have their homes, they have their farms, they have their communities. This is why we pray before we eat to remind our children that this food and this provision, this is from God. God did this. Our whole lives are miraculous if we would only think it out. And then in verse nine, for the Lord has driven out from before you great and strong nations. But as for you, no one has been able to stand against you to this day. Passing on faith requires pointing out all the gifts that God has given. James 1.17 says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. We need to point this next generation to all the good gifts that they have from God. You know, our nation is not like any other nation. The food that we have readily available, the markets, oh my goodness, all of this is a miracle. I have a friend who was on the mission field. She came back from Poland and her daughters came to these doors and they're, they, you know, open automatically. You know how they do? And their daughters jumped back and screamed like, because ah! the door opened in front of them, like, who's doing that? We forget. This is America. Doors open for us. She said that they went to get water from their mom's refrigerator because they had never seen a refrigerator where water could come out the front door. And she said she comes in, her daughter's like all twisted up because she'd only seen drinking fountains and figured that was how you got the water out of the refrigerator. We have so much, but we need to take inventory of it and then get that inventory to the next generation to illuminate them to all that God has given them personally and corporately. I think we live in a nation that has forgotten how blessed they are by God. And they have begun to take the blessings for granted and think that they've earned them or entitled to them instead of rehearsing and thanking God for them. Verse five, they need to be reminded of God's future promises. And the Lord your God will expel from before you and drive them out of your sight so you shall possess their land as the Lord your God has promised you. And then in verse 10, one man of you shall chase a thousand for the Lord your God is he who fights for you. He has promised. You see, this is not the end. The end of Christianity is not a house with a white picket fence. That's not the end. That's just the beginning. God has so many promises, great and precious promises awaiting. There's adventure. There's joy. And this is a book of promise, of one promise after another, a promise for every situation, for all of life and godliness. There is hope. Recently, a friend of mine whose husband has dementia, sent this to me in a little update. And it's a quote from Mark Batterson's, Batterson's book, The Circle Maker. And I wanna read it to you. The Bible tells us that the Lord is watching over his word to perform it. 
There is nothing the Lord loves more than keeping his promises. He is actively watching and waiting for us to take him at his word. He is watching over Matthew 18, 18. He is watching over Isaiah 59, 21. He is watching over Luke 7, 23. He is watching over each and every promise. And if that doesn't fill you with holy confidence, nothing will. Praying hard is standing on the promises of God. And when we stand on his word, God stands by his word. His word is his bond. Psalm 8411 captures the heart of the heavenly father. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. He most certainly won't bless disobedience, but he most certainly will bless obedience. If you take God at his word, you'll make the joyful discovery that God wants to bless you far more than you want to be blessed. And his capacity to give is far greater than your capacity to receive. What I'm about to share has the power to revolutionate the way you pray and the way you read the Bible. We often view prayer and scripture reading as two distinct spiritual disciplines with a little overlap. But what if they were meant to be hyperlinked? What if reading became a form of praying and praying became a form of reading? One of the primary reasons we don't pray through is because we run out of things to say. Our lack of persistence is really a lack of conversation pieces, like an awkward conversation we don't know what to say, or like a conversation on its last leg we run out of things to talk about. That's when our prayers turn into a bunch of overused and misapplied cliches. Ever have that happen? Happen? Hoping? I'm hoping it never happens. So instead of praying hard about a big dream, we're left with small talk. Our prayers are as meaningless as a conversation about the weather. The solution, pray through the Bible. Prayer was never meant to be a monologue. It was meant to be a dialogue. Think of scripture as part of God's script. Prayer is our part. Scripture is God's way of initiating a conversation. Prayer is our response. The paradigm shift happens when you realize the Bible wasn't meant to be read through. The Bible was meant to be prayed through. And if you pray through it, you will never run out of things to talk about. The Bible is a promise book and a prayer book. And while reading it is reactive, prayer is proactive. Reading is the way you get through the Bible. Praying is the way you get the Bible through you. As you pray, the Holy Spirit will quicken certain promises to your spirit. It's very difficult to predict what and where and when and how, but over time, the promises of God will become your promises. Then you need to circle those promises. Then you need to, both figuratively and literally, I never read my Bible without a pen so that I can asterisk, underline, and circle. He sounds like K. Arthur, doesn't he? I literally circle the promises in my Bible. Then I do it figuratively by circling them in prayer. See, God is not finished working in our lives or in this next generation. It's not over. It's not over. God still wants to do a great work and he wants to use this next generation. And Joshua is exhorting the elders that this is only the start. Don't settle. Don't just settle into this. This is only the start of all the wondrous things God wants to accomplish. Then Joshua rehearsed to them the requirements of faith. The first requirement, to be courageous to keep and to do all that is written in the law of Moses, verse 5. Faith means recognizing that this is not the word of man, not just an advice book. Again, it's the divine word. We pray through it. We live through it. This is sacred, anointed, and powerful, and living, according to Hebrews 4.12. 
Faith is not just having God's word, but it's the joint adventure of revering it and obeying it, keeping it. And this will mean denying ourselves, defying public opinion, standing out, standing alone, and doing what is uncomfortable or strange. That's where the courage comes in. It takes courage to believe, stand in, and obey the word of God. Joshua was told by God that in order to take the people into the promises, he would have to be strong and of good courage. Remember that from Joshua 1, 6, 7, and verse 18? So this generation will need to be strong and of good courage to hold fast, to, to believe the word, to live in the word, and to draw their strength from the word. Sanctification. Joshua then in verse 7 says they will need sanctification. So they need courage to hold on and to keep what is written, but they also need sanctification. And that means separation. Verse 7, Joshua tells them, you can't take on the ways of these nations. You're going to have to be distinct from them. You cannot serve their gods. Don't even mention them. Don't swear down to them. Don't use them as your security. You know, the world is constantly pushing their gods on the next generation. Even though the gods of this world have proven to be false, whether it's evolution, there is more scientific proof against evolution. That's why, again, they're trying to say it was seeded on another planet. Alcohol. Think about how the world says, oh, alcohol, just have a little drink. Uh, Sex outside of marriage, you should just be with whoever you love. Whenever. Fame. Wealth, career, you know the gods of this world. You know the gods that this generation is being pressured to revere and to serve. The secular system of this world keeps pressing allegiance to these gods and upon this generation. Then verse 8, Joshua says, hold fast to the Lord your God. He tells them, you need to get a grip of God and don't let go for anything, for anything. Don't let anyone or anything loosen your grip on God. Let God be your best friend, your constant companion, your refuge, your confident, your help, your strength. Get a dependency on God. Get a dependency on God. I know that one of the things that held me to Jesus through junior high and high school, my craziness of college, was that I was so dependent on God. When I even considered backsliding, which I did, I thought, but how can I do that without Jesus? I don't want to lose that protection. I don't want to lose that security. What if I'm in a really bad situation? Who am I going to pray? Who am I going to shout out to? Who's going to save me? And I realized it was Jesus alone. Then he says in verse 11, take diligent heed to yourselves that you love the Lord, your God. You see, love must be cultivated. It takes effort and diligence. It takes time. It includes mutual secrets and conversations and knowledge of that person and prayer. It's more than an emotional response. It is a commitment and resolve of the heart. In Mark 12, 28 and 29, Jesus says that it's this love for God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength that is more important, the most important of all the commandments. And if we do this, 
if we simply love the Lord with everything, we have fulfilled the law and the prophets. We've done that because that's the basis. The basis, have you ever thought that the basis of the law of Moses was love? That God wanted to protect these people? But we respond. How do we respond? Because none of us feels like that we do this. We pray for that love. We get to know God better. We cultivate it. Finally, Joshua warns them of the dangers of leaving the Lord. Verse 12, there are consequences if you leave the Lord. As I told you before, when I was growing up, I never wanted to leave the Lord. I knew there were consequences, and I was scared to death of the consequences of leaving the Lord. Scared to death of not having a a Savior, not having a friend, not having that confidence in the Lord. There is a place for the fear of God, to pass on the fear of God to this next generation. There are consequences. There are snares There are thorns. There are hard places that you bring upon yourself when you turn away from the Lord, when you cling to what's left of these defeated nations, when you want to take on what they did, when you make alliances and covenants with this world, when you take on their immoral practices, go into them. The Lord will no longer fight for you because you've aligned with his enemy. Friendship with this world is enmity with God, it says in James. I want to. I want God fighting for me. I need God too desperately, and I don't like the consequences of having the shadow of God on me rather than the countenance of God on me. He says again, snares and traps, scourges on your side, thorns in your eyes. And he says, you will perish from the good land which the Lord God has given you. You cannot hold on to the divine gifts of God while you are in rebellion. And then he says, there will be a reversal of all the good things that have come upon you. Verses 15 and 16. No more of the promises of God on the horizon. Can you imagine if you couldn't trust in the word of God? If you couldn't grab that promise and say, I'm just going to hold on to this. And then he says, there will be harmful things, destruction, God's anger burning against you. Perish quickly from the good land because of transgressions against the covenant of God. Rebellion, sin, disobedience has consequences. And this is part and parcel of the treasury of faith. It is to warn. God means to keep us from all these disasters. Those who are brought up in faith have a greater responsibility to the faith because they have seen God's goodness. They have had God fight for them because they have received the promises and the gifts of God. And turning away from the God that has given them these things has consequences. And yet, this treasury of faith, this reliance on Jesus Christ, God's Son, for our salvation, for our blessing, for our protection, for our health, for our, for our establishment, it is the greatest gift that we have. It is the greatest legacy that we can give. And it begins by admitting our own weakness, not making disciples after ourselves, but transferring all dependency onto the Lord and reminding this generation of God's personal work on their behalf, of God's good gifts for them, of God's good promises to them, of God's requirements, 
and of the consequences of turning away from this treasury of faith. This is all, and this is the only thing that will sustain, establish, secure, protect, and bless this next generation. You have it. You have the treasury in faith. Pray that God will help you to pass it on and pass it down to this next generation because it is the greatest thing that we can give, that we can leave the treasury of faith. We all want to pass something on to our children and the next generation. The greatest legacy and gift we can give is a testimony of faith in Jesus Christ. As we depend on Him each day, we show that we believe and trust Him for everything we need. Our salvation, our protection, our provision, our wisdom, and so much more. It all begins with recognizing and admitting our own weaknesses and trusting the Lord for everything we need. As we live this out, we are reminding the next generation that God works personally in our lives and that He loves us, is for us, and is more than enough. We hope you have been blessed by today's Bible study. For more information about the Gracious Words radio program and the teaching ministry of Cheryl Broderson, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, we'll look at why remembering God is so important as we continue our Possessing the Promises series in the book of Joshua with Cheryl Broderson. We do hope you make plans to join us. Again, for more information, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. This program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.